Good morning, church. Good morning, you raised, restored, resurrected people. Good morning, friends of God. Did you wake up thinking of yourselves in that way today? It's not just Jesus Christ who's been resurrected, right? It is you, too, with Christ. The writer of Colossians goes even further. Your lives, people of faith, are hidden or concealed or covered with Christ in God. I hope you know this about yourselves. I hope you know it each and every day. In fact, it might be a good idea to start the morning right after thanking God for waking you up by saying, I've risen with Christ and I'm connected above. Something like that. I, I could picture Claire O'Neill practicing that kind of practice. I don't know if she exactly did, but in my memory, it would have been something like that. It's good to remember your identity, especially poetically, with metaphors and creative attempts at making sense. We cannot, of course, know exactly how it is that we're connected with the risen Christ, but that doesn't make it any less true. It's good to remember your identity firstly because the identity itself brings joy, but also there are behaviors and, and manners of being that we can seek from within that identity that are really important for living a beautiful life on earth. And that's what I want. You too? I want to live beautifully here in this place that God has created and where I've been blessed to be born. I want to live beautifully here with all of you, giving and receiving love. And Paul tells us that we can seek the things that allow beauty to unfold. And I think this passage from Colossians and the one from Luke's Gospel too are really important today because both passages acknowledge how our identity is rooted in Christ who is above, connected to very God, how that identity can help us face the reality of threats to the beauty that are all around us. There are present threats to living a life that's beautiful and sound, but those threats need not defeat us ever for our identity is rooted elsewhere. There are so many ways as people on this earth to be pulled down, to have our feelings hurt, to hold back in fear, to be frozen in uncertainty. There are threats that come from the people around us, sometimes from the ones we love most. Sometimes threats come from critiques in our workplace or community. Sometimes the threats are about resources and, and fears, real or imagined, of scarcity. Sometimes the threats are from some forbidden fruit that's idolatrously delicious. Sometimes the threats are existential and hard to define, but they gather like shadows. The epistle reading today from the letter to the Colossians speaks to the topic of how our identity in Christ above and working on that identity protects us in a world of threats. Was the letter penned by Paul? Was it penned by a follower of Paul? Scholars debate this. It's one of the letters that there's lots of opinions about. And I'm not sure about authorship, but I'm confident that it was penned by someone seasoned in living connected to the one who is above. And that, to me, seems more important than who actually put pen to paper. It's penned by someone who has experienced significant threats and fears and troubles and tears that he or she has learned how to overcome by seeking the things from Christ, where Christ is seated and implementing them here on earth. So, friends of God, let Colossians 3 help you out pragmatically in your day-to-day it's not enough to just say, I'm a resurrected child of God. I am a friend of God. That's just the starting point. Since we've been raised, we're to seek the things that are above. And that's when we'll really start to experience the power of what it means to be hidden, concealed, covered in the way of Christ.
I need to seek what is above today and every day. And maybe you do too. Threats come my way and they come your way and I don't want to wait for troubles to come along and for me to be tossed by each and every storm. I want to be shaped and formed to handle them, to walk on water, to not sink. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared with resources from above where Christ is. As a youth, I was raised for a time, and it was some critical years, like middle high school, raised for a time in a church that seemed more interested in the afterlife than in the present life. And I got turned off by all forms of heaven talk. Life after death was all they seemed to want to talk about, and earthly stuff always seemed to be bad. And in that setting, I really disliked passages such as this one. Seek the things above, as if I'm not part of the earth. But I live on the earth. We live on the earth. Why seek the things above, right? Put to death whatever in you is earthly. I didn't like that either. Okay, the list of earthly things here sounds like a, a list of, of pretty bad earthly things, like evil desire and greed. There's a sexual one in there too. But a quick read makes it sound like Paul just rejects earthly reality of all kinds, doesn't he? But that's just a, that's a, a weak read, frankly, on my part. Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. Christ, who lived on this earth, made the earth better day in and day out by not engaging in a set of practices that Paul calls here earthly. I wish there was a different word, but that's what he calls them here. He lived with above behaviors, heavenly behaviors, right here on earth. And that's why Paul wants us to look above. Not to stay above disconnected, but rather to reconnect to Christ and God so that we're ready for spirit-infused day-to-day life on this planet that imitates the way of beautiful living that Christ embodied when he walked among us. As Paul says, this new self hidden in Christ is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. I think that's beautiful. I want to get real practical this morning about how this teaching is useful and powerful in my own life. And it's rare that I feel comfortable sharing examples about how doing something right has helped me, but it felt appropriate to do so this morning, partly because it's sort of a stinging situation I'm going to share, and maybe this resonates with an experience that you've had. So recently I was a recipient of what can only be called a totally out-of-the-blue text message tearing apart my character, complete with an accusation of ruining the person's faith. It came from someone I hadn't talked to in any substantial way in years, but who had experienced some recent hurts in their life. And I had no idea how I became the target of this person's current frustrations and in no way could have expected the text. The person stated observing the works of the church these past few years and was having a hard time now and lashed out with, you help everybody else but never me. Friends, I have to tell you, early on in my ministry, that text message would have stung in ways that I couldn't have easily handled. It would have eaten at me for days, right? It would have impacted my sleep and my work. I would have attempted to defend myself and write lengthy responses. I might have shared the information uncomfortably with others in a way that helped me feel better about myself. Anybody getting on man on never doing that when you get attacked? And none of it would have worked. I'm sure of that. I would have just made this event larger. I would have allowed that stinger of a text message to become in an inordinately large and idle in my life. But thanks be to God, it didn't become any of that. Right? I was able to receive it, to imagine that this person is dealing with a lot. Remember that they are a child of God. 
remember that we do help lots of people and to also acknowledge to myself that some might feel left out of the bounty of support. I then just wrote a very simple one-line response. I'm sorry you are hurt. I pray that you find consolation. I wasn't going to get into a, let me make it all better. No. And then I let it go. My heart didn't pound. I didn't think I was a failure. I didn't think our ministry was falling apart. I got a good night's sleep. I woke up ready to work and serve in the morning. I might in a month or so follow up with the person if the spirit moves me to do so. There is no rush. Some may say, wow, Pastor Seth, you've gotten thicker skin over the years, which I don't think is actually true at all. I think rather that the, with the help of you all, siblings in Christ, I've turned a bit more fully to Christ who is above, and I'm more likely to seek Christ's ways with all of you, and it's paying off in my life. I hope you can point to similar examples in ways that maybe in the past you've, you've responded to situations and how now some of the skills you've picked up by being connected above help you out. So friends, I ask you, what are the threats in your life? What are the unhealthy earthly threats that come your way and risk becoming idol-sized? Who brings the threats and, and what do the threats do to you? Do the threats that come from outside lead you to respond with anger and begin threatening back, meeting fire with fire? Or do you receive threats and do something different with them? Do you respond from below or do you respond from above where Christ lives and where your life and true identity is hidden so that you can engage beautifully? Sometimes the threats are, are less direct and more insidious because they feel like and they maybe are very tied up with blessings when they first come your way. Before you know it, though, something troubling has been planted in you. And that seems to me what happens in the gospel message today from Luke. Luke chapter 12 begins by us hearing of Jesus speaking before a multitude that's numbered in the thousands. And Isaac didn't read that part. But there were so many gathered that they're trampling on each other. And usually in the, in the gospels, we only hear about those kinds of numbers when we've got the story of feeding the 5,000. And one other time when he's teaching by the sea and he's got to get in a boat because they're pushing in upon him. But here, with this large gathering, he chooses it to be the moment to give a talk on how to live without fear. It's actually a very similar message to the one we hear in Colossians. He was reminding people that they need not fear anything, even those with power to control and kill. A strong message. Acknowledge me, know me, and I'll continue acknowledging you and make you and your needs known before God, it says in that first part of Luke 12. But it's better than that. As I acknowledge you and your needs before God, the Holy Spirit will be sent to you. Jesus said to them, after that exchange between myself and God, the Holy Spirit will be sent and will give you in that very hour exactly what you need to say and do. Jesus hadn't yet ascended at that time, but already he was describing the advocacy from Christ to God and the outpouring of the Spirit that follows. It's an amazing example. It's a super important, important teaching that Jesus was giving. And um, know me, he says. I'll advocate to God for you and the Spirit will be sent to you. Have no fear. He's explaining it to thousands how to live full, animated lives in the face of all sorts of significant fears. And into that moment... A man pushes to the front of the crowd and yells at a demand, Jesus, take my side in a family arbitration debate. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Think about how weird that sounds. Like, huge teaching to teach the multitudes about how to live without fear, and then bam. But that's what happens when you're blinded by an idol of money. Jesus dealt with the topic very directly and quickly. Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? That's not the kind of job I've just described that I do. And then he turned to all of them and said, Beware, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And that's when he told the story about the personal warehouse, storehouse. A man had crops that regularly produced abundantly, but one year there was a bumper crop. And the man couldn't imagine what he'd do with an abundance of food. It it, it all can't fit in my storehouse. So being the creative man that he was, he thought, let me tear it down and build a bigger one to hold all this for me so I can enjoy that wealth far into my life. We don't know how much time happens, how far in this parable the guy gets in terms of developing this larger thing. It just says, but God visited him and said, this very night your life is ending and what a waste that you've been saving this up and not being rich toward me. Friends, somehow this man, in his years of success, was only creative enough to think of something bigger and better for himself. And that's what I mean when a blessing can become a threat. Sometimes the threats in our lives come not from our critics, but rather from our successes or our privileged positions on this earth that commingle with negative earthly pressures, pressures that run contrary to the things that we are to seek that come from above. Worry plays into that a lot, right? I couldn't help but think this week of another storehouse that I know of. I wish Jesus knew about this storehouse because I bet he'd have told the parable. It's a storehouse that's a soulful, animating, vital force. It's a place that was born from above and that encourages the kind of sharing and generosity that are qualities from above. Ah, I love it, and I wish Jesus knew it so he could have said it better than me. It's a magical place called 127 Raritan Avenue, just around the corner. It used to be called Rutgers Gun and Boat Shop, and for years I walked by thinking it was just a little gun shop, but get through those doors and behind a couple of walls, and it opens wide like a magic wardrobe in Narnia. It's at least 5,000 square feet, and it's so full to the brim with donations, always. It's full to the brim with mattresses and box springs, bookshelves and chests of drawers, dining tables and mirrors. There are bikes and trikes and shower curtains. There are utensils and microwaves and coffee makers, fire alarms and extinguishers, toilet paper. Anything you can think of to furnish a Jersey home is there. And on the rare moment when the inventory is low, things miraculously appear from far and near to replenish the supply. Throughout the day, workers, paid and volunteer, receive new treasures, moving and reshaping piles to fit in a bit more. And then the word comes from a caseworker that an apartment has been found for a new family from Ukraine who just had a baby this week, and it needs to be furnished by tomorrow, and the wheels of the machines start turning to get stuff out. Word comes in simultaneously that an apartment has been found in Oakland, New Jersey, for a Haitian family, and things start getting planned now two at a time. Then a family of five from Peru, homeless, with a 13-day-old baby, now has a house in Phillipsburg that has to get set up. A family from Guatemala has an apartment down in Hamilton. Refugees, we got to get that one ready too. Fida and Anna and Harry and everyone start to identify which treasures are leaving now, and the trucks head out to set up those new homes. And those four places that I just named are all real families that had apartments set up by our team in the last two days. 
Yeah. And what amazes me when I look at the almost fully stocked inventory is that that warehouse, since it was established by our church family and Interfaith Rise in November of last year, has fully furnished 100 homes. 400 people, give or take, have had all their furniture and initial household supply needs met from that magic space without the newly arrived refugees needing to pay one penny for anything. Everything is given freely. It's a warehouse of freedom. It's a warehouse of joy. It's a warehouse of miracles that feed people's lives. It's born from above. And I happen to know somebody who's working within the uh, property maintenance team this summer. Sina is working there for the, for the month. And she's got the, the phone. She said, Dad, even on Friday, eight new phone calls came in with donations to help us restock the things that we gave out last week. Friends, challenges and threats will come but we can take them on. Inheritance and wealth questions will challenge us and begin to make us trust in ourselves. Hurtful words and actions will be hurled our way sometimes. Major experiences of idolatry will tempt us and, and those around us. But we can face these things individually and collectively, for we are not stuck. We are born from above, and, and that Christ-like love that permeates from there to here through us is necessary for the healing of the nations. That love from above that we seek with our whole hearts can undo our personal hurts and heal our lives and the lives of others individually and collectively. This is a really important teaching, dear friends. It's the kind that makes us really free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.